heard the question from the collective. Being neutral is tough when you care about helping people. That's what I see. I see so many healers that are so bent on changing the world and helping people and they're so caught up in all the problems of the world and it's so tough when you care about help. How do you be neutral when you care about helping people? I have to work. I have work to do, ha, she says. <laughs> well, for myself, I know I have work to do and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm not going to be able to do a lot of that work if I'm not neutral first. I'm, I'm going to be running around like a chicken with a head cut off if I'm not neutral. It's basically, not being neutral means you're, you're running around like a chicken with a head cut off, right? You're making a lot of noise and accomplishing very little. And that's why I even tell my uh, students, especially the advanced students, is if you see me laughing and joking around with somebody, I'm accomplishing a lot. They'll probably never know that or not know it for a long time. What happened during that time? But I'm, I'm doing my work. I'm getting a lot done. But if you see me running around like a chicken with the head cut off, looking very busy and, and you know, war torn and busy and, and just pounding it out and, and all that, I'm not getting much done. At least not my work. I'm probably, you know, uh, cranking out somebody else's work, <laughs> but I'm not getting my work done that I'm here to do. It's when you see me in the greatest joy, the happiness and effortless, that's when you, I'm dangerous. That's when things are happening. <laughs> if, if I'm serious and concentrating and looking like I'm trying really hard, nothing's happening. Not much to speak of. So not only neutrality, but a key factor is amusement. You gotta get yourself happy, which means, oh, this is your first step toward unconditional love. Welcome to the Inner Sanctum online group sessions with Karen Swain. This is some highlights from our two to three hour sessions we have each week with myself, Karen Swain, teaching deliberate creation. And once or sometimes twice a month, we invite a guest teacher to come in and join us and share their wisdom and we can quiz them and we have a lovely time. Enjoy the highlights. And if you'd like to join us online each week, please go to karenswain.com slash inner sanctum and sign up. Hello and welcome to the Inner Sanctum. Thanks so much for joining me. We have our very special guest teacher here today to enlighten us all, Michael Tamora. Yeah. Hello, Michael. <laughs> Who's, that's his backyard, isn't it gorgeous? Just gorgeous. He's, he's moved down to, you're in Florida now, aren't you? Florida. Nope, California. California. Northern California, Roseville. Let me tell you a little bit about Michael for those people who are watching this on my um, on my show that don't know about Michael. Michael's been a guest teacher in the Inner Sanctum two or three times, I think three times, and you've been on the show at least three times as well. Something like that. <laughs> we love Michael. I'm getting to be a regular. Right? You're a regular. He's one of my faves. You know that I always talk about Michael. Michael J. Tomorrow is a celebrated spiritual teacher, master of awesomeness, clairvoyant visionary, and award-winning <laughs> author of of the book you are the answer discovering and fulfilling your soul's purpose michael lives the miracle spiritually aware from childhood he sees 
everyone the way they are. He sees your, you know, the truth of who you are, your soul, not your ego, personality, or your stressful thoughts. He knows who you are. Love that. As immortal souls. And he guides thousands of people into their healing, awakening, and true life purpose, and drawing from years of intensive training, profound past life recall, which we've actually never got into on the shows, all your past life recall. But anyway, we might get into it today. Nightly out-of-body surgeons, four decades of teaching and giving clairvoyant counseling, and a lifetime of extraordinary experiences, including having five NDEs, yeah, dying five times in full consciousness so we've discussed most of that many times on the show who you are and, and your nde experiences the question i'd like to pose to you now michael i've been watching you and Raphael do your show each week and um, oh, yeah. watching your facebook posts and you have not engaged in any of the conversation about what's happening publicly what's happening in our world and I'd love to hear your perspective. Like you've not been talking about, you know, what the virus and uh, the virus? vaccine. Yeah. You, There's you, a vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> There's a virus. There's a virus. <laughs> Where is <laughs> yeah oh I mean, there's so much going on. Well, it's that's the way of the world, right? It's but what the world is, you know, it's um I'm sure everybody's heard you are the light of the world, right? And so what's that mean? Well, to me, you are the light of the world means it's just like in the old fashioned movie theaters where there's a projector in the back and they run a film strip through it. And there's a light bulb in the projector that shines through the images on the film and through the lens and everything expands it so that it fills the silver screen up in the front of the theater and everybody watches it. And, and of course, with technology improving the way it's improving, it's the images and the sounds getting so realistic and surround sound and, and high def. And of course, soon they're going to start to have it more and more holographic where uh, even now you can wear those virtual goggles and immerse yourself in the experience in a visual, audio, and probably more sensory, tactile uh, experiences. And that's really what the world is. You're the light bulb. You're the light of the world. Without you, there is no world. Your light projects on this, in a sense, the screen we call the world, and everything goes on. Huh. But there's what, uh, seven point something billion people in the world at this point. And that's just the ones with the physical incarnations, physical bodies. There's a bunch more souls who are still here. They're waiting their turn. <laughs> and some who are here, <laughs> they're not even waiting their turn because they, they don't have a turn until they get their act together a little bit more, right? which just means that they have to learn their lessons. They have to become basically more aware as the souls that they are, instead of being beholden to the images in their mind and thinking that that's, that's reality, that's all there is, and that's who they are. And so the more you start to become aware, the world is definitely not what everybody says it is. 
<laughs> and so, and that's why sometimes, you know, uh, I don't really talk about current events and, and what's going on that everybody's all hysterical about or indignant about or really, you know, uh, stressed out about because I kind of see it in a very, very, very different way. But I'd be happy to talk about, like, what's this thing with the virus? You can't take anything, even a tiny little virus that nobody can see with their physical eyes, out of context. When we talk about the world, it's like, again, it's like a really sophisticated video game. 3D, everything video game with sensations and emotions and all that kind of stuff. And when you're playing a video game or programming a video game, you can't just isolate one little thing out of the whole video game and say, oh, this is what I'm going to change. You might think it that way. You go, oh, I'm going to change the characteristics of this avatar or, or this uh, uh, part of the game. Fine. That's how you start. But if you're the programmer, you got to look at the entire program. You can't just, you know, add on something just because you think that's going to work. No, it has to work with the rest of the entire program for the video game for that character to change or for this part of the video world to change. And it's really similar here in this world. You, you go, oh, yeah, uh, I don't care about the rest of everything that's going on in this world, but I'm going to tweak this virus. To a certain point, you can do that because that's part of the video game. It's programmed for that. But no matter how many people do that, it's just not going to fundamentally transform the world and the life we're experiencing in this world. Now, how really the, the world works is pretty much exactly the same way your dream world works when you're sleeping at night and you end up having a dream. Everybody dreams, but everybody has different dreams most of the time. And it's really cool when sometimes you wake up and and somebody says, oh, I had this dream. And they start to talk to you, tell you exactly the dream you had. And both of you were in it together. Oh, that gets a little bit interesting, doesn't it? Because most of the times when we think about, I had a dream, we're pretty much assuming none of you know about it because I'm the one who had that dream. We have total certainty that when we're dreaming at night in, in our sleep, when we wake up and realize, oh, that was just a dream, we have so total certainty, it's just a dream. It's not reality. It's just a dream. But while we were dreaming, it's totally real. We're running away from the monster, or we're running away from the psycho with a knife, or we're running toward, you know, something that we want to really be involved in, or you know, we're excited, we're sad, we're crying, we're screaming, whatever else, because we're experiencing that dream and the dream world and the body in that, our bodies in that dream, the dream body as reality until 
either one of two things happens until you wake up in your bed and say, whoa, that was a dream. <laughs> if you've had a, if you were in the middle of a really great dream, you might wake up and go, oh, well, now, oh, now that was just a dream. I want to back, I'll go back to sleep and see if I can continue part two of the dream. <laughs> or more usually, if you, if it was a nightmare, you, you wake up in the bed and you're sweating and you're breathing hard and everything. And you go, oh, thank God, that was just a dream. It wasn't real. That's the, almost everybody has that experience when that, that happens. It's just like, Oh, we instantly and intuitively know it was just a dream. It's not real. Huh? So then we were laughing, even if the nightmare was horrific, we could be laughing the next moment because I, none of that's real. It doesn't matter. And in fact, we know with certainty, oh, since it was just a dream, it didn't really it was only what I was experiencing in my mind from uh, most of us don't seem to know exactly where did that dream come from, but we also with certainty intuitively know it was my dream. I, I dreamt it. We don't blame somebody else for our dream. You know, I, I can't go to Karen and say, Karen, <laughs> why did you produce this lousy dream for me last night? <laughs> I, I'd like you to improve the dream, please. <laughs> but it, funny, though, in this world, everybody does that, right? They blame each other for their dreams and their nightmares, especially, and and think they're justified and think they're that's that's the the you know, reality and the tr truth. And it's not, it's just like the dream. And so, so then what's so difficult about for people to recognize that when I'm dreaming at night while I'm sleeping, unless uh, the other way to wake up from a dream is, is you become lucid, what they call you become lucid, which means you're still dreaming. You're still, the body's still sleeping. You're still in your dream world. But within that dream world, you wake up to the fact, the truth that, oh, wait a minute, this isn't real. This is just a dream. Ah, then we're still playing in the dream world. It didn't go away, but we know that it's just a dream. But everybody else in the, our dream goes on doing whatever they're going to do. But no longer are we scared that this person's going to kill me. We're no longer afraid that, oh, we're not going to be together with the love of our lives. Uh, we're not scared of anything because it's just a dream. And the minute we have that realization, what happens? I don't know if any, I'm sure most of you have had at least one of these. And my experience, anytime that happens, the first experience is that of, tremendous joy and freedom. I am not beholden to any item in that dream. Completely. It's just a dream. And I absolutely with certainty know the dream is coming out from within my own creativity, my own imagination. Huh. So I could do whatever I like to do. And the minute I have that realization, 
Next thing, I'm flying if I want to. I can walk through walls. I could disappear. I can become a little gnome, you know. <laughs> I could decide to be a great white shark and eat you, whatever. It doesn't matter. You could do whatever. And then if you don't like it, you just go, okay, I, I'm tired of that. I'm going to do something else. And then something else happens. It's instantly changing them. It's, and if you go, oh, I'd like to have an experience of dying. Okay, let me drop that. Somebody shoot me. Okay, great. Oh, I didn't die. Huh. You can do anything. It's just a total video game, and you're the video game programmer, so to speak. Huh. So how, how come it's so difficult for people to recognize that in this world, hmm, just because you have a dream when you're sleeping and then you wake up in your bed and you go, oh, that was a dream. This is reality. How do you know? Mm, it feels the same until you wake up here. Until you wake up or first, usually you become lucid in this dream. Mm, that's called enlightenment. Another way, that's how I talk about it because it's, it's easier to understand, right? And, and so when you wake up in this dream, you're still in the dream. You're still dreaming, but you know you're dreaming. And the beginning of that is you start to own it. You own up to it that, oh yeah, hey, everything I'm experiencing here in this so-called world is my experience. It's coming, not only is it coming from within myself, but it's, I'm experiencing it within my own being. I can't experience it in you like a separate somewhere else, right? I could only experience it within me. Being psychic, people think, oh, you're psychic, so you're you know, experiencing my thoughts in, in me. No. I'm experiencing all of you and anything you are in myself. Yeah. Even on a physiological level of the physical body, it's that way. We say, I see you in, on my uh, computer monitor in this little box. And I see you over there and I see you over there and all that stuff. You're over there. But no, where am I seeing even the image of you on this computer? in there <laughs> even on a physiological level the brain the you know eye and the input and everything and the brain processes the information because brain's like a computer circuitry right and it processes the information in the back of your head area there's this psychic screen energy screen that projects the reconstituted <laughs> image upside down in there and then your brain pr further processes it and tells you it's right side up. <laughs> That's all. It's no different than what you're seeing on your computer screen. Am I really on your computer screen? No, but an image of me, including movement and sound and everything is processed electronically, electricity, energy. A form of energy is running through this hardware, the circuitry of the computer, and, and then you add on a software programming that directs where the energy goes. 
The Karelian uh, photography just picks up just a, just a very basic rudimentary part of energy that's a little bit more subtle than just the physical level. But there's a lot more. And that's what you start to experience when you're clairvoyant or you start to develop your awareness more to recognize, oh, there's a lot. Everything is energy, which is another way in a more worldly, worldly term to say it's all undivided oneness, limitless. And what makes this limitless oneness of energy turn into a computer or a light bulb or a coffee cup or, you know, a swimming pool or trees and grass and all of that stuff? Uh, it's just difference in vibrations. There's, and in talking about it in terms of vibrations, it's, it's slower to faster. The faster the vibration, it's, you know, higher the energy level. The slower it is, the lower it is, slower it is. That's all. And so if you were to ever measure everything according to frequency, you'll find, oh, yeah, this, you, what, what it looks like an individual thing has a certain frequency, like even the individual atom has a certain frequency. But they're keeping, you know, scientists keep on going, well, well, we thought the atom was the smallest, but there's, there's parts to the atom. And then there's parts to the parts. <laughs> and pretty soon you run out of parts and they go, but still something else is going on. We don't know what the, there's no parts to it, but there's something going on. It must be like a wave, <laughs> but it's not like a wave all the time. So it just keeps on going, but they're getting actually closer to spirit than than a lot of very orthodox dogma entrenched religion. So they might get there a little bit faster. <laughs> but back to this world, hey, it's coming out. And so to change anything, so one of the ways, you know, some of you might have tried out, um, what do they call it? Dream analysis, right? You have a dream at night, you wake up and you go, oh, what does that mean? If you know how to do that, you're looking at your, you're reviewing your dream and not because it's real, but because it's telling you something. Every dream is symbolic. Every level of every dream is symbolic on, on a different way. So what if this world is actually a dream? Like every mystic, every enlightened master has always said, the world is but a dream. It's an illusion. What are they talking about? Well, at those times, they didn't really have the words like, it's just a movie, <laughs> a 3D movie, or, or it's a video game. I guess a lot of enlightened masters weren't into video games. <laughs> but I do see the future of video games. Some of it is going to be de dedicated or devoted to teaching spiritual awareness. Because video game is as close as it gets at this point. Until they, they have the, the, like the Star Trek, uh, what is it called? Hollow deck, you know, uh, actual 3D where you can touch the images and everything and feel like the person's actually there. Hey, that's, that's going to come some, somewhere along the way. But 
at this point, video games at the front of the front of the line. And isn't that interesting? They call that virtual reality. Not reality. It's virtually a reality. That means it's relative to relative to everything within that virtual space. It's it's real as far as, you know, we need to, we need to say it's real so we can function here. Yeah. If we said, oh, this is all unreal and, and acted like because it's unreal, it doesn't matter. Well, you're not going to last very long. <laughs> you're not going to be healthy. You're not going to be well. You're not going to succeed because if you're in the video game, you're playing the video game in some level, then you have to learn the rules of the game or else you lose. You know what I like about the analogy of the video game? Because most video games, you get lifetimes, right? You get those little things that says, okay, you start off with, you get five lives. <laughs> and if it's a violent video game, you get killed off, you know, pretty easily. <laughs> and then when you run out of all five lifetimes, well, you're, you're, you're a goner unless you pay some more or if it's a fee type of a thing, or you, before you die out from all your lifetimes, you have to get, you know, more treasures and more energy sources or whatever, and then you get extra lives. Hey, what's the difference between that and reincarnation? Because you only need reincarnation until you're done. Well, in a video game, when are you really done? especially if it's a, you know, you could keep scoring higher and higher and higher, right? Well, you're done when you get tired of it. You've played it so much. You're the king of the mountain. You've, you've beat everybody else and you go, what's, it used to be fun, but I mean, this is the same thing over and over and over and over and over. And it's, it's so easy. It's, there's no challenge. I'm not learning anything new. Ah, you're done when you've learned everything when you've mastered, not the game, but when you've mastered yourself. Because in order to master anything, even a video game, and the funny thing is, I'm very enthusiastic about talking about video games because it's a great analogy. I, I don't know even the first thing about a video game. <laughs> I think the, the last time I played a video game was when they had Pong. <laughs> And that's about my speed is playing it, but I've observed people playing it, right? And I go, wow, let's, I can see why video games were invented, why it's so popular and where it's going because of that. Because spirit uses everything in this world to teach and to heal yeah. so that every soul can make it all the way through. Yeah. Michael. Yes. The analogy of the illusion and the video game and you create your own reality is something that we, many of us, many, many, many masters have spoken about, many teachers have spoken about. But <laughs> when you're in your pain, when you're believing your stressful thoughts, yes, all that intellectual concept of, oh my God, this is just a reality, a reality of my creation, I'm creating it, flies out the window. So mm -hmm. I was talking to a friend over the weekend who's contemplating becoming a member. She's a healer as well. And uh, I was telling her about you. 
and I was telling her <laughs> about you saying, you know, that you were, I think you were driving, you had a heart, you were having a heart attack, you pulled over to the side of the road, you were lying on the grass outside a Wendy's store or something like that. Was at it? Denny's. <laughs> okay, at Denny's. Store. And you're having a heart attack, you've called 911 and you're like, okay, so the paramedics are coming, so I'm all right. And then you started contemplating, now what am I learning from this? And you know what she said? How does he do that? How can he do that in the middle of pain, physical pain, life-threatening pain? How is he contemplating a spirit, like the spiritual lesson inside this? Like that was her question, which I thought was brilliant. So okay, yeah. I pose that to you. Yes. The first, the first time I, that was the second heart attack, but the first time I had a heart attack and I was in the emergency room, the emergency room doctor asked the same question. <laughs> One of the first things I learned about if you're going to, if you really need to go to the emergency room, it's best to call an ambulance, right? Because if you walk in on your own <laughs> two feet, <laughs> and on top of that, I learned, don't be laughing if you go walking into the emergency room because nobody will take you seriously. <laughs> so with me, fortunately, Raphael's the one who took me to the emergency room on that one. And we walked in because she drove and, you know. So in, in the meantime, she's scolding me. You know, you're about to die. You should have been dead already. And I said, oh, I'm still here. <laughs> and meanwhile, I'm experiencing total divine choreography. I'm seeing all the angels, the healing masters and guides and all the spirit that's helping and working, the, the doctors, uh, spirit guides and angels and the nurses and the orderlies and everyone and everything. And it's just this incredible, it's, it's like the award-winning, beyond the award-winning Swan Lake in, on, a, on a spiritual level ever. It's just, it was beautiful. And, and it's just, there's no question. What can go wrong? Nothing. I mean, even if I died right then and there, it's fine. Yeah. If I didn't, fine. Divine I mean, you know. choreography. Yeah, Divine completely. Choreography. So, so then it's, it's like, look, the doctor is the one who's worried. And I'm trying to reassure her, but I'm, I'm not about to introduce, you know, hey, your spirit guide is working really overtime and, and you're, you know what you're doing, just keep doing. So that's, that's why. Now, the other one that your friend was asking you about in terms of in the ambulance, I, I assess the situation. I go, okay, everything is taken care of. And in that time, it's because, well, it's also years, you know, 48 years of training for yeah. at that point, maybe 45 years, 40 years a, of training. I want to make this point because it's just like dovetailing with exactly what we spoke about at the beginning of this. So I said, the world's gone crazy and you and Raphael are just bipping along doing your radio show and not talking about that. <laughs> it's like, can we in these times of emotional drama, physical drama, global drama, see the divine choreography. 
Yes, absolutely. You have to. I mean, it's it's not can we? It's you got it. That's what waking up is. Right. It's it's there all the time. It's never not there. Being clairvoyant. You know, people say I'm clairvoyant, but what's that mean? Everybody's clairvoyant. The only difference between me and many other people who believe they're not clairvoyant or even want to be clairvoyant is I pay attention and I really look and I look not at just look at random anything, but I'm looking always for the truth. Yeah. So it's not until it's just like on a physical level with your physical eyes, you're not going to see anything that you're not looking at. Right. So, so if you weren't looking at your screen at this little box that I'm in, you're not going to be seeing me, even no matter how much you wanted to see this guy, Michael Tamura, what he looks like or whatever. If you are doing about face and you're looking at the wall behind you, you're not going to see me. You might hear me coming out of the speakers, but you don't see my image. And that's the same on a psychic level, spiritual level. You only see what you're looking at. But most people go through life wanting to look at, wanting to see this and wanting to see that and wanting to see this, but they're not looking where you would be able to see whatever they're wanting to see. Exactly. And so that's the only difference. So once you start to realize and learn, oh, I like to see the truth, then you start to, your inner eye is going to be trained on uh, your, your awareness, you, the real you knows the minute you ask yourself any question, it knows where to look. Yeah. But if you try to control because intellectually you think, Oh, that wouldn't be where God is, or this wouldn't be, you know, spirit. I couldn't see spirit that way or whatever. Then you obscure your vision. You, you stop, you turn away from what you need to be looking at to see it. Yeah. The other thing is when you decide you like to see the truth in anything, mm-hmm. in a situation in your relationship or your work or mm-hmm. just life in general or the world situation, mm-hmm. if you go, I am looking at the truth. It's not, I want to see the truth. I have to be looking at the truth. Mm-hmm. But most everybody intellectualizes that and says, well, how can I look at the truth when I don't know what the truth is or what it looks like? <laughs> And they cancel it out for themselves. Mm-hmm. I, I know that I have to be the one to first look at the truth before I'm going to start to be able to see it. Mm-hmm. Right? So I look to the truth. Right. You can ask me, where is that? I'm, I'm, I don't know. It's where truth is. Which is. I'm just looking. Which is why when you're lying on the grass, so you're answering uh, Rachel's question, why when you're lying on the grass having a heart attack and you've called 911 and instead of thinking about the situation, you're thinking about, I wonder what this is teaching me. What's the spiritual lesson in this? So you're looking for the truth in that moment of, you know, yes, panic. Um, yeah. Because the know, truth sets you free. The, absolutely. <clears throat> but, you know, a lot of us in high insight, We'll see the divine choreography. Mm-hmm. I'm so in love with that word now. It's my it's my new word. <laughs> Michael, my new word. 
So like me, for instance, I'm a 16-year-old kid. My mother's died. I'm left alone in the world to fend for myself. Actually, I wasn't upset at all. I was really excited. But, you know, most people would say that that's drama and, um, you know, terrible things happen. Your mother's died. Actually, going through her illness was a lot worse mm-hmm. than the mm-hmm. actual death. Yep. Um, but there were there were frightening times of, you know, a young kid all alone in the world and how am I going to survive and all that sort of stuff. There were frightening times. But when, you know, you're, you're older, and you look back, you can see the divine choreography, right? You can see yes. how that woke me up and I started asking questions and where do you go when you die? And you can see, but in that moment, like what, what most of us struggle with, mm-hmm. how enlightened we think we are, in the moment of the drama, <laughs> you know, can we see, can we find the truth? Can we see the divine choreography? What yes. would you say to people to give them that way out of the pain and the drama and so that they divine David sent me a message. He loves the divine choreography. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. One thing that uh, derails most people from not looking at the truth, but continuing to look at the truth as things are happening is they expect if they look at the truth that they're going to see the truth and it's going to look like some expectation of what truth is supposed to look like. Then that's all they're looking at. But what I do is I look at the truth and I don't know what that's like at all. I just look at the truth and I know I'm looking at the truth. And what do I discover if I do that? I discover what are the lies? See, that's the, that's the catch. I would say, I can almost safely say no one's going to look, look at the truth. I mean, look at, see the truth when they first look at it. Because every one of us has too much junk mail <laughs> in our mind between where we're looking from and the truth. Truth is always there. You can't miss it. But we don't get it. We don't become aware that we're, we're looking at the truth because there, we have our mind is so cluttered with junk. Stuff, lies, illusions, images, junk. And so when you first start and go, yes, I'm looking at the truth. What you have to pay attention to what do you start to become aware of? Sometimes you'll start to first become aware of certain feelings, emotions, other times, which often has nothing to do with what you're going through. <laughs> Wait a minute, I wasn't angry before I started looking to the truth. And, or it could be thoughts. For some people, it's, they're much more mental and it's, it's the thoughts. And you get all these random thoughts and silly thoughts and profound thoughts and scary thoughts and everything starts to fly up in your face. And at that point, a lot of people get hung up on them. They start to jump on the emotion or jump on the thoughts and go, oh no, what's going on? Here, I I was looking at the truth and it's getting worse. Uh, It's like, I feel worse. Uh, I'm having negative thoughts and, and uh, I, I feel desperate and I'm a victim and, da, 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 and I'm getting angry, all that stuff. Oh, 
they are seeing more. They're starting to wake up to in this dream of all these images. What's a dream? It's an images, right? Bunch of images. Some dreams are really confusing and random. It doesn't tell a whole story in a nice linear sequence. It's just like images and images and images. Other dreams are like a top-rate, you know, movie with a great story and good characters and <laughs> exciting action, all kinds of stuff. And so it really absorbs you. But dream's a dream. It's a, just a bunch of images. Even a movie. It's moving. People are talking and everything. But it's all individual frames, even a video, individual frames of still shots that when you see it running by you at a certain frequency, certain pace, it looks like a smooth movement of I'm moving my arms and hands like this kind of a thing. But if you stop it, you see, the editor can see each frame and oh, let's cut out this frame. Let's add this frame, things like that. Reality or what we consider to be the world works the same way. And so when we're looking at truth, truth sets us free. It's just like if we're sitting in a blacked out room, dark, completely dark room, and then all of a sudden we turn on the light. We go from our reality is darkness to instantly it's bright. And instantly you're going, wait, 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 wait. What happened to my darkness? I was living in darkness until just a moment ago. And all of a sudden, I'm in the light. And there's not any, if, if it's bright enough, there's no shadows or anything. It's just like everything is bright. Right. What's the difference? Truth is that light. In the presence of truth, there can't be any darkness. Right. Because truth is undivided and whole and limitless, so there's no beginning and an ending. Darkness is when there is a division. So in spirit, there is no darkness, only here in this world. This world is completely based on polarity, yes. opposites, right? Mm -hmm. Right down from positive, negative, electrical opposite charge, energy charges, mm -hmm. or, or uh, uh, male, female, mm -hmm. you know, it's day and night it's everything is based nothing in this universe can exist without positive and negative without two in spirit there is there are no twos <laughs> there's only one there's only yeah and Which? and so so looking at the truth the truth is always total light and so it starts to shine on what made it dark for you to any degree of darkness. Mm -hmm. And then you start to notice, oh, the darkness is made up. It, the darkness is not real. Darkness is only when the light is obscured. Mm. Right? So the minute there's nothing obscuring the light, there's no darkness at all. And then you start to realize, oh, these thoughts that are coming out of my mind randomly, uh, the minute I start looking at the light, looking at truth, oh, maybe that's what's making my life, my mind so dark, 
heavy, serious, unfulfilling, painful. Ah, okay. Oh, maybe these emotions. Oh, I'm just experiencing hate or, or resentment or jealousy or, or you know, anger or grief or melancholy, whatever it is. Oh, maybe that's what the light is starting to shine on. And before it completely disappears, it's giving me the choice because we have free will. Choice. It's giving, the light isn't going to take it away from us. Mm-hmm. It's going to show us, okay, here's a lie in your mind. Mm-hmm. Do you want to keep it? Do you want to live it? Or do you want to throw it away? Are you ready to let go of it? And if you go, oh, no, 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 I need that. The light won't forcefully take it away from you. Because you have the ability to make your own choice, regardless of what God says, even. Yes. So I just, I just want to reiterate this because this is this is pearls, pearls, pearls of wisdom. <laughs> the light doesn't take away the darkness. The light illuminates it to give you a choice. And then your free will says, okay, now that I see it, now that I see what's, what's covering up the light of who I am, I now have a choice to engage in it more and follow it or to, um, okay, so what do we do? Dismiss it, uh, transmute it, uh, not see it as reality? You don't that's have right. to do anything other than realize it's nothing. It's nothing. It's, it, that's the same thing. That's why I was talking about waking up from a dream. Yeah. The minute you realize it was a dream, you just, it's not even, I have to dismiss it, right? I already know. It's nothing. It's just a dream. It doesn't make any difference. It's all conjured up in the mind. Jeanette says gold. I, I just want, did Sarah, did that answer your question? Michael, what were you aware of when you were having a heart attack okay. and you asked, I wonder what this is? So this is why we tend to miss all these profound answers and lessons in life. Because we're, if we're thinking about it in an intellectual way, we considered ourselves who we are now and what we know now and how we see things now and everything like that. But most of the stuff that hangs us up has, have, has nothing to do with the now. It has to do with at the time when we experienced certain things and got stuck. We didn't go all the way through with that experience to to see the truth in it, forgive ourselves, and move on. Yeah. So that's where forgiveness comes in, is when you see the truth. Again, it's just like that light. When you turn on the light, the darkness goes away. You didn't have to do anything to chase away the darkness. If I didn't turn on the light, then I can have a vacuum cleaner, I can have a broomstick, I can have a pail of water. Nothing's going to chase that darkness away from the room I'm in. All I have to do is turn on the light, which means all I have to do is see the truth and the darkness goes away because it's not there in the first place. But again, as I mentioned before, when I turn on the truth, see, turn on the light, what I experience and the choice I have to make is, oh, this is the lie I've been looking at that is, obscures the truth, obscures the light, and is keeping me a hostage. Okay, 
great. I'm not a victim because I'm the one who has the choice to go, you know what? I'm done with this image. This is just an image. It's just a dream. I'm going to wake up from this dream. So the way I wake up most of the time is, is one dream vignette at a time, right? Mm -hmm. So I notice this and I go, that's part of the dream. I blow it up in my mind. I just explode it. You know, what you're describing, Michael, uh, having spoken to many people who've had NDEs, you know, in the moment of the drama, the heart attack or the drowning or however people are dying at the time, often they will leave their physical body and not understand that they're dead. They'll just know that one minute I'm in pain and the next minute I'm in bliss. Mm -hmm. And like, oh, this is okay. And they kind of won't even understand that they're really dead, but they've just entered the light of the situation and they're not in the illusion anymore, which is the pain or the heart attack or something. Because yes. Like just in this like, yes. Light. Mm. But here's the tricky part. The moment you leave the experience of being in and of a body, None of the things you experience on that level is there. It doesn't exist. See, this is why I have certainty that this is all a dream. It doesn't really exist except in our mind. And so when you're in spirit, it's not that you don't understand. It doesn't exist. The body doesn't exist. The Pain doesn't exist. The suffering doesn't exist. Darkness doesn't exist. Time doesn't exist. A linear sequence of thoughts don't exist. None of that is. So instantly, I'm out. Every, this is true every single time. I'm out, and none of that not only matters, I'm not even thinking whether it matters. It doesn't exist. Not where I am. It's totally not part of the experience. So the tricky part, this is why all of us have had to reincarnate so many times. <laughs> Otherwise, we could just have one lifetime and learn everything and get free and enlightened and be done with it. But, and same with the near-death experience. A person could have a near-death experience. And just like you said, once they're out, they're going to experience whatever way they experience the total light and the total oneness and the total infinite. But if they come back, oh, that's a different story. Because why we have to reincarnate so many times is even though every time we die, we know the truth. We know what bliss is. We know what heaven is. We know where we came from. We know who we really are. But every time we get born into a body, how come everybody forgets? By the time a, a soul incarnates at birth into a body and grows up to about four years old to seven years old, they start forgetting almost everything. I just happen to be fortunate that I didn't forget almost everything. I retained enough so that I kept going. And I made it my point to learn how to get the rest of it back. <laughs> uh, so, so 
the key is, oh, that truth we know of who we are, that truth we know of where our home is, that truth we know of what truth really is. We have to bring that to this level of consciousness. We have to wake up enough from this dream. We have to become lucid and, and just go, oh, this is a dream. I'm spirit. I am the light of the world. Which brings us to that question that I have about uh, soul age or soul evolution. But mm. before we get into that, I just want to open it up to I the group. And, and you've answered that. Mm-hmm. But maybe once we die and we remember, why come back to engage in make-believe suffering? That's the same question. Yeah, because we remember because we're there in that state of being who we are. It's where we learn. We have to learn it here because we're, we're not free. In spirit, we're always free. Any, nobody's ever a hostage. Nobody's a victim. Nobody's you know, poor. Nobody's suffering. Nobody has pain. Nothing. We're completely and utterly free. It's here that we've been hypnotized, if you will, to believe that the lie is the truth and that that illusion is reality. So this is where we have to free ourselves. We're already free in spirit. So how do we free ourselves from this here, from the pain, the suffering, the whole bit, is to realize, oh, finally, I remember I'm spirit. And that begins our path, or even earlier, it's, you know, I, I'm sure I'm more than what I appear to be in this body, right? Everybody has had that time where, where you go, you know, this is, I'm not just this. And my life can't be just this world. Huh. Then you start seeking, you start looking to the truth, and, and little by little, you start to un, un, uh, unveil it for yourself. And as you do so, you start to become more and more aware. And as you become more and more aware, you start to realize, oh, this is what's really going on. And I'm here to learn. And what am I here to learn? I'm here to learn to discern what is true and what's a lie. What's illusion and just appears to be real, but not. And as you do that day by day by day, I've been doing this for you know a lot of years, and you get to the point where, oh, you have very few images as a barrier between you and God, you and the light, you and the truth. And when that happens, your, your life is changing all the time because your experience of life is unlike anybody else's. And that's another, that's another little uh, catch in being on a spiritual path and, and forging ahead to your freedom is because you get lonely. If you're the only one who's experiencing life in the way you experience it, and you talk to everybody and you go all over the world and you talk to everybody and they go, you're crazy, or you don't know what you're talking about. Oh no, oh, that's, that's just nonsense. That's fiction, that's science fiction, whatever. If you get 
caught up in that. You get, you feel isolated and lonely and there's nobody who understands you and nobody sees you and nobody communicates. Or there's a possibility, you're the nutcase. <laughs> In which case, you need to commit yourself to an institution rather than commit yourself to your spiritual path. <laughs> so, so a lot of people get hung up on that. Would you say, okay, so I want to get into the evolution of the soul. Okay. Would, would you say, because I, I have this conversation with so many light workers. You know, I've had such a dramatic life. Like I could just talk about my life. You know, my dad beats me up and my mom dies and I run away and I'm homeless and yada, 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 yada. You know, we go through all these traumas and um, a lot of people are traumatized by the traumas. Would you say that, that a more evolved soul chooses more traumas because they know they give themselves the challenge to wake up in the dream in the trauma yeah, yeah like, it's, it's you know isn't it interesting that almost every little child goes through that feeling of uh i don't belong here right it's mm -hmm. and and it's like uh I'm an alien or I don't belong here. And it's, we have so many indications that if being here on earth in a body was truly paradise, would we ever want to be free of it? <laughs> right. it's, it's, it's like every one of us gets to a place somewhere along the way. I've had enough of this stuff. <laughs> uh, and, and so that gets us on our search. So either yes. if a person goes the, the road of total success and becoming the master of the universe kind of a thing, and he or she is at the top of everything, they're the most popular, there's the most successful, the wealthiest, the most capable, uh, nobody could even you know, stand up to them level. Well, even that, sooner or later, if they keep on coming back lifetime after lifetime doing that and being the best in everything and everything and everything, sooner or later, they're going to get bored. It's like, isn't there more to life than just being the best of everything and having the most of everything? And that's when they start to turn inward and get onto their spiritual path. Or a lot of people go the other way and, and just get to the bottom of the barrel and just life couldn't get more miserable and then they look up because they there's nowhere to look down anymore <laughs> the only way is up and and when you look up and go hey all of a sudden you see a glimpse of what's really up there <laughs> and you go oh there's a light at the end of the tunnel so to speak and it gets you going right and and plus the incentive that i don't want to go to the bottom of the barrel ever again it was so miserable then you start to find out it's just no different than what buddha went through find out what's all this suffering about where does suffering come from and oh pain well where does pain come from well you'll discover when you are truly in spirit and there's i i've had this several times when there's a fairly serious injuries that should be excruciatingly painful on the body end of things, there is no pain. Yes. Yeah. And most Christians don't know when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he didn't experience pain and suffering. Hey, that's, that's been put on him by humanity. 
because they can't fathom anybody being in that condition because they go into sympathy. They go, if you crucified me, I would be screaming bloody murder. Right. You know, I've got a nice big scar on my knee. Someone asked me, I was on the beach the other day, where'd that come from? And I'm like, oh, you want to hear this story? But the, uh, the, um, the outcome of the story was, you know, I hurt myself and had to have an operation. I had no physical pain. And my, I said to my guides, what was that all about? After operations and all the drama, they said, Karen, we told you where there is no resistance, there is no pain. Exactly. Absolutely. Resistance is the thing. So if I were to just teach one thing and that would do it for everybody, I'd just say, get out of resistance. Right. Then every, you, you won't have a problem and you won't have any pain. But what's resistance? Most people, that's not enough. <laughs> you just say, oh, get out of resistance. Then they go, what's that mean? Right? And, and so you got to find out, oh, yeah, what's the truth about resistance? It's made up of, basically, there is no such thing as resistance without fear. Right. There is no such thing such as uh, judgment without fear. So resistance is fear and judgment, basically, put together, and a lot of effort. In spirit, there is no effort. In spirit, there is no resistance. In spirit, there is no judgment of any kind. It's just is. And so when we go into resistance, we're already in fear. If we're not in fear, we wouldn't be in resistance of any kind. But the tricky part about resistance too is 99.9% of all our resistance is unconscious. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's, and, and if you're in resistance and you go out of your body into spirit, what's going to happen? Oh, you're going to experience spirit, light and happiness, joy and freedom and, and peace and eternal life, everything else. Until, oh, you're not done here yet. You come back into the body, even if, let's say, you were dead or passed out or in a coma, you come back. Oh, there's pain again. <laughs> you, you, what you have to learn is how do you deal with it here? So you can't deal with it. You're never going to be free by leaving. Yes. Ah. So that's why I always say, you know, dying is a breeze. It's dying no problem. Easy. It's Dying's coming easy. back. It's, it's living and, is the challenge. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's that's the, that's the only challenge. Being yeah. here is the only challenge. And so whether you come back because it was a near-death experience rather than a, just a death, yeah. or you come back, you die, and then you come back in a reincarnation. It's the same. Coming back, that's the hard part. And then even harder than coming back is staying here until you find your freedom. Right. And so finding your freedom is actually ultimately simple because you already are free. Yes. As long as you don't, you don't get caught up in the world. Right. That's why when Jesus said, uh, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. Right. He's basically saying you can't afford to become part of the world. Your body is part of the world. All of it's part of this big dream, but you have to realize you're not. Yes. And one of the key things that keeps everyone here for so long 
is loneliness. Right. Wanting to be accepted, wanting to be communicated with, understood by someone else that they think is not themselves. <laughs> so as you start to become more and more aware, you start to be able to see that, oh, you look different on the outside from me, but you're the same on the inside. Yeah. So when I, when I look at people and say, hello, I'm seeing the same bright, beautiful light of spirit that I am, that you are, that yeah. you are, that you are, everyone is. Yeah. yeah. No, that's the namaste. One, you know you might see yeah. on the shows i do this to yes. everyone at the beginning of the end and it's like the light in me sees the light in you yep. i love that yeah and you have to experience that right Shelley, you just have to daily experience shelly's a new member she's actually just popped on for the first time today she has a question do you suggest we traverse the soul. the soul level so you said last time i think we got into it really briefly you said <laughs> like a the beginning soul sort of school is they look at survival they might choose lives in india where they're starving or something and and then you said oh, yeah, yeah. a second yeah, it's, soul might choose can you just go through that again yeah i probably was talking about the you know for simplicity's sake we have a clock soul evolutionary clock and like a regular traditional round clock it starts at 12 o'clock up at the top and you know three o'clock on the uh, one side and six o'clock and nine o'clock and then back to 12 o'clock to finish so that's a that's a good diagram uh to use for the basic phases and stages of a soul's evolutionary process here from beginning to uh enlightenment and total freedom. And so when you first start, let's say if 1201 <laughs> is the starting point for the soul, it starts with, you would say that the soul is uh, an atheist. There's no belief in God. There's no belief in spirit. They incarnate and they think they're the body. It's totally, I am this, this is all I am. And so that's where soul starts and 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 they once they're born they don't remember anything that's just like i'm this body and my first thing is to survive and how do i do that and it's just like that they're just being they're animating the whole body mechanism and and not using it but they're they're being it and they feel like they're the body. They think like they're the body. Everything's about the body. There's no spirit. There's no God. There's nothing. Okay. Then as you progress through the first quadrant from 12 to 3 o'clock on, uh, in that clock analogy, you move from that to being more like an agnostic. You know, it's like oh, there, might be, there might be something greater than this me, this body, but I'm not sure, you know, it's, but they're, they're starting to become a little bit more expanded. And then by the time they're at three o'clock, they start to move into what we might call more of Orthodox religion. Right. So, so 
It's not like they have the experience of God and the reality of God anywhere close to that, but they can, they start to think of, you know, they can have the belief that there's something far greater. There's something more to life than, than what meets the physical eyes. And they start to get very much more capable on an intellectual level. They start to have more uh, in terms of interest in philosophy and way of living and thinking and, and intellectually trying to figure things out more in life, more than just them, their individual, their, their individual selves <clears throat> and do good for the world and, you know, all kinds of things like that. So that's, that's the second quadrant from three o'clock to six o'clock. As, as the soul gets closer and closer to the six o'clock part of their evolutionary practice, six o'clock is the turning point. Six o'clock is where the soul goes from living the outward world to turning within for the first time to start seeking that which is within their own being rather than what's the goal is out there in the world. And by that time, by the time that soul gets to the six o'clock point, they've been through a lot in their lifetimes and, and a lot of, you know, they could have been the top uh, uh, leader of countries and, and empires. They could have been the most uh, sophisticated scientist and this philosopher and artist and everything. Everything could be done by that point. But as they get close to the six o'clock, one of the things that tends to happen is they reach a kind of a psychic soul level crisis of, of hitting a brick wall of nothing. Until then, they, they learn to succeed and that whatever they do, you know, they could, they could make it. But when they reach this area, they start to bump into, they start to have the wake-up calls and, and uh, things get worse and worse and worse and worse. <laughs> <laughs> for them and they see everybody else who's like they know they're smarter they're more capable more powerful than those other people who are let's say at four o'clock or five o'clock on that clock analogy they're about 5 45 5 30 5 45 and their life isn't working it's like i've done i've been there why is it that that i'm suffering so much it's this, this isn't working. And they get into this place of, they try everything that they're used to and they find one, one, thing, at a, one thing after another ceases to work for them anymore. But they look at other people and they're succeeding beyond their imagination. It's just, they're doing fantastic. They follow the same rules. They, they flop right on their face. And so you know, at first they might be, you know, going, why me? Why me? And, and by that point, they definitely believe in God somehow and saying, what did I do? You know, am I being punished? Oh, all this stuff. And sometimes they go into so much psychic pain that that's usually the point where a soul decides to kill themselves off, you know, uh, commit suicide. But as you know, you do that, well, you didn't die. <laughs> but committing suicide 
the consciousness and the intent of it is killing yourself, meaning trying to stop your life. Because you don't know, you can't stop it. It's, but so, so it's an it's a intent of total against yourself. Whereas dying is a letting go. Dying is a realization that, oh, I don't need to hold on to this life. My life is within. I already have a life. I'm never going to die. I, I can let go of this body life. I can let go of life in this world. I'm ready. I'm, I'm okay. Suicide is, I can't handle this. I'm just going to get rid of myself. I'm going to cease my life once and for all so I don't have to go through all this pain and anguish. So if they get to that point and some souls will go through with it and off themselves. And then they have to learn, they have to come back, and blah, blah, blah. Other souls, they're like at the bottom of the barrel and just finally, and because there's some, at least some belief in God in some way, and usually at that point, that soul has already gone through the routes of traditional religion and, and usually multiple. You know, they've been Christian for a few lifetimes or Jewish or, or Muslim or whatever. And so they've had the religious background. And at that point, they're also looking at, you know, the philosophies I learned aren't working. The religious dogma I've learned aren't working. And they might even start to get angry that everybody's been lying to me. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> And so some, some souls at that point will claim to be agnostic because their idea of God and spirit is the religion, right? So in order to try to separate themselves, to distance themselves from religious stuff, they say, I'm, a, I'm an agnos, agnostic, I don't believe in God and all that stuff. But at that point, <clears throat> that's not true for that soul. It is true for the soul at, you know, one o'clock but not for the soul at five past five o'clock. So they're at that place of just, I don't know, I can't handle it. And some of those souls, instead of trying to kill themselves off, they just open up, they turn in, they just go, okay, God, or if you even ex really exist, I know you're not the God I was taught by religion, but if you really exist, I need help. I, I'm at the rock bottom. I can't go on like this. You got to do something. Show me a sign, whatever, right? And generally, something, <laughs> something really happens. Uh, like uh, the story of the guy who started AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah, that happened to him. He just was at the rock bottom. And he, he was really, literally, the story goes that he was yelling at God saying, you know, can't handle it, you got to do something. And then, bam, he has the experience of spirit. Right? Also, Neil Donald Walsh has that same experience. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Screaming yeah, yeah. at God. And, and it's interesting because God was talking to him about who he is. And I think Neil was a bit disappointed that he wasn't like at the fourth level or something because he said, you're a messenger. Is that all I am? Anyway, go on. Please go on. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, so, uh, uh so when that happens, oh, 
one way or another, the soul turns inward, right? And goes, okay, my answers that I'm looking for are not out there in the world. Nobody out there in the world has the answer for me. And when they start to look inside and then they'll find, uh, you know, things about meditating or intuition or whatever. And one way or the other, that person's going to find themselves like, as they always say, when the student is ready, the teacher arrives, right? Appears. So somewhere, somebody appears and is going to guide them to their next steps to fully start to practice turning your awareness inward to the infinite rather than outward to the limited. And when they do that, that's the point at which they pass the six o'clock mark and start to go into the third quadrant of their evolutionary process from six o'clock to nine o'clock. And that's the part where it's a steady process of day by day, meditating, looking within, finding your own truth, rather than looking for somebody else to tell you what to do and somebody else to tell you what the truth is and all of that. You have to have it learn. You're learning by inner experience. And then you start to develop more and more certainty in, in what you know to be true. And then you're able to commit yourself to follow through on it. A lot of people at the very beginning, they know what's true, but they don't trust themselves enough. So they don't act on it. It's just an intellectual exercise of, oh yeah, I know this is true. And I know that's true, but they don't live that way. In this third quadrant, the main path is to live it. You have to, you have to first learn it. And once you learn it, you got to practice it so that you are experiencing it more and more and more. And as you're experiencing it more, you start to establish it to where you can actually demonstrate. It's just like in school, you know, once you learn the theory and you practice it and everything, you, then you have to demonstrate, get up in the front of the class and demonstrate what you've learned in your life. This is the, the third quadrant is, is the soul integrating. The demonstration is, is the sign that the proof, so to speak, that you've now not only learned that aspect of the truth, but you are now living it in your everyday life. It's, and you then establish it more and more with certainty in your life. Then it becomes just a part of your regular everyday life. You don't think of it as something different. It's you're living it. And then from nine o'clock to 12 o'clock is when you're truly on the final leg of your path to God. And so that's, that's you, basically essentially the that, that's the clock. clock you, you didn't go into that, that, that fourth quadrant last time. Uh, you said that the people in this group were in that third quadrant. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm just loving the messages here because Brad had put when we forgot when I forgot what you said, my learning relieves my suffering, which was the aha moment. Thank you, Brady. And then mm. Diane, yeah. so uh, you didn't get into it, but that fourth quadrant that, mm -hmm. that you didn't explain what happens there. What happens? So we're all just trying to find amusement. What are they doing? <laughs> oh, <laughs> everyone I know in that quadrant, well, not, I wouldn't say everyone, but the great majority of those that I know in, in the, that quadrant, especially in the latter part of that quadrant, pretty much an amusement. <laughs> 
or an hour higher. And because you're free. See, uh, when I said, I pretty much said everything I need to say about that quadrant is you're on your path. And so, so you're, you're, you're fully aware of what you're doing here and for what purpose and everything you do is toward finishing all of that. So, you know, you were mentioning uh, a lot of the uh, people who are passionate about changing the world and, and bringing peace and, hey, we need all of them. But you have to look at what part of that whole clock are, are those souls doing that in? Not all of them are in the same quadrant, right? From time to time, there will be a soul in the fourth quadrant doing that. But if you'll, you'll notice, if a soul is in the fourth quadrant doing that, they're not going to be one of the ones in the front lines throwing rocks and, and screaming and you know protesting on that level. They may be in the marches or something, but they're not going to be, they're going to be orchestrating it. And they're going to be neutral. They might be able to give an impassioned speech like an actor could do a, a very convincing, inspiring speech, but they're not becoming it. They're just presenting it, right? But they know the people they need to reach need that passion and right. that yeah, stuff. They take so, on the role to, to speak. Exactly. To, to speak to, they take on the frequency to, to connect to that frequency and then yeah. bring them into. Uh, so so most, most souls who are in the fourth quadrant are because there's so much neutrality, they'll be able to step into whatever role that's required of them at that time without becoming it. Yes. So, I mean, I had so, a lot of that training of having to be the bad cop so that my, you know, somebody else could be the good cop or yeah. switch roles. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's very... So the third quadrant is the waking up process and, and, and the part where life, life doesn't work for you like it works for everybody, others, everybody else. Like, well, and that start starts in the second quadrant. Oh, that starts in the second. That's what usually prompts the soul to get into the third. their inner, inner work. And, right? and so the third quadrant is the inner work. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth quadrant is that you know, like you've reached the light, you know who you are, and now you're here specifically to remind others. Would that be right? Probably in some form or another, but, but you're, uh, in a sense, you own creating your own path. Right. right? So, so some of us would decide to uh, teach. Others mm -hmm. of us might decide to be a hermit. Mm-hmm. Others would decide to uh, uh, pray all the time. Others right. would go out and, and work in the uh, fields or, or work with uh, homeless people. Okay. Others might be a librarian. You know, mm -hmm. it, there's no limit in how you finish that final quadrant. Mm -hmm. But it's always very creative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you're, you're starting to really own that total creativity as a spiritual being and 
So in the third quadrant, you're seeking and finding the answers that are within you. In the fourth quadrant, you're using all that to create new solutions, new, you know, it's like, you don't have to stay stuck there. You could just do this. Mm-hmm. And chances are, most of that will fall on deaf ears. <laughs> oh my God, tell me about but, <laughs> but that doesn't matter because mm-hmm. it's, it's like being a, a good chef, make delicious, amazing food, but they're not hung up on, on feeding everybody. Mm-hmm. They just put the table, food on the buffet table and ring the gong and say, okay, dinner's ready. Anybody who wants it can come and get it. Mm-hmm. And they don't care if you come and eat it and say, oh, this is awful or this is sublime. That's your problem. Mm-hmm. They're just going to dish it out. They're just going to dish it out. Oh, God, mm-hmm. Michael, you just, you <laughs> rock, honestly. <laughs> Doesn't he? Oh, my God. Amazing. 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 I know. Far out. Absolutely, absolutely awesome. We've, we've just hit three hours and yes, Laddie to... and Brad have stayed up. It's one o'clock in the morning. They're riveted. Ah. They're so riveted. Everyone, like we could spend another three hours. And I would suggest listening to this at least another 150 times. <laughs> <laughs> because there was so much in this. So much, so much, so much. And uh, oh, obviously, obviously, Michael does his classes. He does tele-classes. He doesn't do Zoom classes. I want him to do Zoom classes. Oh, I, I do Zoom classes once in a while too. Oh, you do? Okay, all yeah. right. And and uh, Michael and Raphael do their classes and you have a masterclass. And yeah, if you want to explore Michael's teachings further because there's so much. Thank you so much, Michael. You're thank welcome. You for, thank you for taking yeah. the time to speak with us. Everyone just unmute. And, um, thank you so much for everything. Thank you. so much. You're very, thank very you. welcome. It was a thank pleasure you. to be awesome. here. Thank you. Thank, thank you for the invitation. Thank yeah, thank, thank you, Michael. for sticking it was, around. It was yeah. amazing. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Absolutely amazing. Please extend my love to Raphael. Yes, and she's uh, waved as she passed by a couple times and and asked me to send her greetings and love to all of you too. Oh, lovely. Uh, thank you. Same and to her as well. I'm, I'm so. Will do. I'm so thrilled.